Welcome to the Bookworm Collective. This episode, we'll be discussing the July Book of the Month. So we are now going to discuss Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. If you haven't read this book yet and don't want key plot points or surprises given away, then you should stop listening now. Just like usual, we're going to give you a little bit of time to think about your decision, so we're going to go over a little bit about the book. So this book was written by Orson Scott Card, and it's actually the first book of many different series that were started. And it is all—it is a I, total of roughly 352 pages, and it is a science fiction novel. All right, so now is your last chance. If you don't want any of the plot points to be spoiled, um, you know, now would be the time to drop off. So um, we start the book with kind of an introduction to this character named Andrew Wigan, who goes by the name of Ender. And he is a, you know, he's kind of like a genius. He's really, really smart, but he is the third child in his family. And the world that we're kind of in right now has a lot of population control laws in place. So it's not usual for a family to have more than two children. And they actually got like government sign off to have a third child because the first two scored really well and had a great potential to be useful for the military. And in the very beginning, we're just kind of learning about the alien race called the Buggers, and these guys are a major threat to Earth, and um, the the entire Earth is currently in a war with these Buggers. And we just kind of get to see um, some of the propaganda, really, about the Buggers in the very beginning, and just kind of get a start of just a, a start to see what Ender's journey is going to be. Yeah, so very early on at a very, very young age, Ender is chosen for battle school. And so he's taken away from his family and basically goes to this space training facility with a bunch of other very young children. And the idea is that they're going to be trained in the space military and basically go through all of like the strategic training and everything to become military leaders in the hopes that one of these kids will eventually be the commander of the fleet that's going to destroy the buggers, but they have no clue when that's going to be. And right off, right, okay, right off the bat, Ender is facing a lot of isolation and bullying, and this is mostly because of how young he is, but he, he easily is able to stand up to it and prove that he is worth going to military school. And he, he ends up in a bunch of intense competitions from other recruits, and that is really how he um, proves his worth to everybody. From the time he enters the battle school, they kind of are taking a different curriculum just for him because they think that he has the potential to become the commander that they're looking for. So there's some rules for how this like facility typically operates that they break. So they really try to isolate him and just push him to the limits. And, you know, despite all that, he has a lot of people who despise him at the school, but he does end up making a few friends. Um, some of the most notable ones are um, Petra 
Ezra, Bean, and Ali. And they end up becoming critical in how Ender makes it through the school and are just huge plot points throughout the rest of the story. And they end up popping up throughout the entire story, surprisingly. It's not that he moves on to the next um, level of his military training and they go away. They they come with him too, um, but they are moving at a slower rate than he does. And that kind of goes into this next thing is that Ender is going through this really rigorous training and he's just being pushed to work really hard in all of these simulated battles. And all of this training is used in a zero gravity environment. And that that's a whole new, um, that's a completely new change to Ender because he's, He's always lived on Earth, so he hasn't had to worry about having to figure out how to move without any gravity. Yeah, this battle room where they're in a zero-gravity environment and are basically fighting the other students that are at this school is where the majority of this book takes place. And it's really interesting, and it's kind of where we kind of get to see some of like the military aspect and then just see how Ender's mind really works because they're typically up against one other army, and so they are fighting, and there's like these standings, and you get individual ratings and all this stuff, and you want to get promotions, and basically the whole school has become about these games and some of the kids get really wrapped up to it and they think it's all about the game but it's really about kind of this larger war that is still going on so um, we get to see how Ender is pushed at we get to see how Ender is pushed and how he grows while you know doing these battles but that's kind of where we get to learn a lot more about how Ender thinks so Ender is then promoted to Command school, and he is training under the under the renowned Mazer Rackham. And in command school, he becomes a legendary figure because he he pushes them really fast, and he is given a not easy group to work with. And that's just how he becomes legendary among the cadets. And then he also becomes like he becomes the best in command school because of all of the things that um, the people controlling his curriculum are throwing at him. Yeah, so they push him really, really far, and he ends up making it further than any commander ever has. And Mazer Rackham, who is the general or commander, whatever they call it, that destroyed the buggers in the last invasion, is the person who is training Ender at this point. And so it kind of like the tables turn, and now Ender is fighting against Mazer Rackham. So each day he has these battles where he's in a simulated environment, you know, where he is controlling troops. Um, and they are attacking the buggers, but the buggers are being controlled by Mazer Rackham. And so we go through this for quite a while, and there's a very long, very grueling um, time period for Ender and some of his friends that are all fighting with him in these simulations, and it ends up becoming a lot for the kids. So then we have um, the final battle, and this is where Ender is commanding the human fleet in a simulated battle against the Buggers' homeworld, and he he ends up doing a lot of unconventional tactics and has a lot of exceptional strategic thinking to um, kind of beat this simulation, and he does win in a very unpredictable way that 
I didn't even see when I was reading the book, and I was kind of really surprised that was something that he would end up doing. Yeah, so at the end, Ender is basically exhausted from all of these battles, and he knows that his other commanders that are working with him are also just absolutely drained. And he's just frustrated that they have been screwing up the system to basically be really, really hard on him. And so... He knows that this is the last battle because there's like a lot of people who, you know, have come basically to see how it goes. And he sees like how enormously against him the odds are. It's just there's no way he's going to win. And he basically just like does something that he's like, well, this is so dumb. It will achieve the goal that they want in like a most absurd way that nobody's going to think that I'm going to do this. And it is just absolutely astounding. I think the first time I read this book, there's there's no way that I would have guessed that this is how it actually ends. And so he ends up killing off all of the buggers in this simulated environment. And then when the people who are around to come see him in this final simulated battle are like cheering, he basically quickly finds out that it was not a simulation, that he actually had been fighting the buggers this entire time. Since he said that he was being, he was fighting Mesa Rackham, he's been fighting the buggers. So after Ender realized that it was, that the simulation wasn't actually a simulation and that he was actually exterminating the entire bugger population, he felt very guilty about it because... He felt like he was becoming more and more like his brother Peter, who who we'll talk about more later on in our discussion questions. And that just made him feel very guilty and unsure if he was actually acting like himself. So while Ender is wrestling with basically just the ethical side of what he has done unknowingly, um, basically the Earth has gone into their own war. And basically it is trickling all the way up to space school. So there's a there's a short period of time where there's a little bit of concern about what's going to happen with these great military leaders that the basically the world has been training out in space. And um, once all of that dies down, there is like a call to get any of the kids that were in the battle school and bring them home. But um, some people on Earth make the decision that Ender cannot come back to Earth because everybody would be fighting over him to lead their armies. So he ends up going with his sister Valentine to be one of the first people to colonize some of the planets that the buggers used to live on. When he went on the main planet that the buggers used to be on ender discovered that the buggers had a dormant queen which made their extermination seem more questionable and then when he found the the dormant queen he he tries to redeem himself by finding a new planet for the dormant queen to help re-establish the buggers emily so in Ender's seek to kind of redeem himself and find a place for the buggers to basically be born again, um, he tries to understand the bugger race even more. And he's actually able to speak with the dormant hive queen um, based off of the way they communicate with all the other buggers. And um, basically he comes to understand the buggers and who they were. And he just wanted to know what happened in their history and just kind of what led them to this point 
into why this war happened between the buggers and the earth. And in his like journey of finding all of this, he ends up writing a book that he calls The Speaker for the Dead, where he just explains everything from the bugger race perspective and why this war started and where it was going and just really trying to understand them. And that actually gets published to um, the entire earth. And that is how the story kind of wraps up. But this story of Ender trying to find a place for the Hive Queen and, you know, just kind of like the outcome of that Speaker of the Dead book is in another novel that Orson Scott Card wrote to kind of follow this up that is called Speaker for the Dead. All right. So now that we kind of know what has been, what happened during this book, we're going to go ahead and just discuss what we thought about the book. So personally, I gave this book five out of five worms. Um, I really enjoyed how the story went. It was very satisfying to read. Um, just like the entire progression, you you got you got to see Ender's. We got to see Ender before he started Battle School, and you got to see the end of the war and what his next thing that he was going to do is going to be. And that that just made the story very, very enjoyable to read because you could see from beginning to end his growth. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things I really enjoyed about the book is the way that Orson Scott Card develops his characters in that like you kind of get to see like this huge arc for Ender, but you're with him every step of the way as he kind of like grows and like in each of those battles where you get to learn how he's thinking and you can kind of like see how that changes is just done very, very well. And I really enjoy the way that the characters are developed throughout the story and that like the story always feels like it's moving even in moments where you know that this is just here to develop Ender a little bit more. Yeah, and I I also enjoyed the development of Valentine Valentine and Peter. Um they were just kind of they they were definitely interesting characters the closer that you got to the end so peter and valentine we did not talk a lot about in the plot summary because um they play like a very interesting role in this book but there already was so much to cover with ender so we kind of like have glossed over it but really the whole battle with peter and valentine is very interesting because peter is kind of like this representation of all like evil things like he's like a killer and um you know, it's not like he goes and like murders a bunch of people in the book, but like he just has a lot of harsh tendencies where Valentine tend to have all of these good tendencies. And so they didn't select Peter to go to the battle training because he was too aggressive. And they also didn't select Valentine because she was too non-aggressive, I guess would be the word. Um, and so they kind of Ender is kind of a mix of the two, but you get to learn a lot more about Peter and Valentine throughout it. And I think that like the way that those characters developed and how the things they do on earth impact Ender are like fascinating. What Valentine and Peter do is they, they create false identities and start acting as politicians. So these false identities are much older than what they are because um, the way that Peter was explaining things to Valentine is that 
this is going to be our world once the buggers world is done. So why can't we start shaping it now? So they create these false names and are start acting as politicians and they they become Locke and Demosthenes. Locke and Demosthenes are trying just to discuss some of the things that is starting to pop up as we see the buggers war come to a close and this war on earth start coming. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Locke and Demosthenes later, but I think what's really fascinating about this idea is like they actually take on the opposite roles as like what we see their characters are in that like, um, Valentine who, uh, portrays Demosthenes online. She is typically like a, um, a very loving person and is very much about people and doesn't want, um, and, and basically doesn't want to do people harm. Like that's not any of her intention behind things, but a lot of the stances that Demosthenes takes are kind of the more controversial ones, the more extreme responses. And Locke, who is um, Peter, takes a lot more of like the mellow or like moderate side of things, whereas usually he is like the way more aggressive one. So it's kind of interesting how they play these different roles and just to kind of like see that play out between the characters. And I think that even though it's very much a subplot to the story, it's like it's super fascinating and something that, you know, I think about a lot. One of the big things that I was really surprised about in this story was when the simulations weren't actually simulations anymore. And just when Ender found out that he was controlling the actual fleet, it wasn't it wasn't anybody else doing it. It was actually him and it wasn't just a training exercise. And just what like the process of actually winning that battle i thought at first i thought he was intentionally trying to lose and then it it made sense all towards the end and that that was just a very interesting twist in the story like it's not it's not a full twist because you kind of see it coming anyway just with the little blurbs before chapters it's not even before. Yeah, I want. Yeah, I mean, I think that like before or chapter names, and um, you know, actually to some extent, like I prefer when books don't give it a chapter name because you have no clue what's going on. Um, in that chapter, it's like there's no spoilers, I guess. And also, I think that when you're like reading the book, you know, and you can see how much is left in the book, you're like how is this going to get wrapped up? And so if you like really sit there and think about it for a second, it's kind of clear and you could definitely predict this, but it's still like a very interesting turn. And what I think is fascinating is at the end, after this is all over, one of the people that has been like making most of the curriculum for Ender, you know, he basically says, he's like, if we didn't do this, you would never be able to have done this. If you thought that this was real and you knew that there were other people's lives at stake, you never would have made the decisions that you did, which is why we did it this way and why you basically murdered an entire race, but we didn't tell you that that's what you were actually doing. And so I think that that's like, it's super interesting. The first time you read it, it's like a really big plot twist, I feel like. And it's it's just surprising because you're like, oh, surely they wouldn't have done that. But they've been lying to Ender this entire time. So why wouldn't they? And 
Um, but it definitely brings up some interesting questions when, you know, the book is over, which I think is something that makes it a good book. Yep. And then um, just kind of my really last big thought about this book is that I I honestly did get a little bit bored. I'm not 100% sure why I got bored. I, I think it just became more and more predictable, but... I don't think that took anything away from the book at all. So like I I really did enjoy this book and I I I still stand by my five worm rating. It's a book that I would think about when I would be recommending sci-fi books, but there's there's just something about in the middle where there just wasn't anything too interesting going on. When in the middle, when you're having battle after battle after battle, and you kind of like, you're like, okay, so what? The next thing that's going to happen is another battle. It does tend to hit like this little bit of a lull. And I mean, I don't, I don't really know like if that is the intention behind it, but like that's also the way that Ender is feeling in that. And I think it's kind of interesting the way, you know, you kind of get to that point where you're like, okay, like when does this going to change? And it's also, I think, hits that a little bit harder because you really don't know what is the next thing? You know, I think at a certain point you start to wonder, he's like, is this going to be the rest of the book is just going through like these zero G battles. Um, but still, I think that it's, um, I do agree. It hits a little bit of a lull and like certain spots, but I also gave it a five worm rating. I mean, I, I really enjoyed this book. It, it is, I'm actually rereading it this time. So, um, you know, I really enjoyed it the first time, and um, there's a lot of things to really enjoy even in a second read. So, um, you know, usually military stories are not my cup of tea. It's just not something that I'm usually, like, super excited to read, but I, I find this book really, really interesting, mainly because of all, like, the ethical side of things that it kind of just makes you, just makes you think about, like, what if this really did happen? So, um, but I think it's a it's a very good book. And I think that the way that Orson Scott card develops the characters is, um, probably the thing I enjoy the most about it. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to our discussion questions. And, um, our first question is actually going to be on the more ethics side of thing. So, um, our first question is, was it morally justifiable for adults to manipulate and deceive Ender for the sake of humanity's survival? And I think this one is like, is super interesting because, um, you know, basically every, everything to deal with Ender the entire book, but like even before, like down to the way he was born was dictated by, by this basically by the government and by these people you know they they thought that peter might have been the one that he was too aggressive and then they saw valentine and they're like oh no that's too far the other way so we are hoping that if you have a third kid it'll be right down the middle and um and so i think that like some of that is is really unethical but if you consider it like from the standpoint of like if they don't do this then the human race basically could be destroyed. And that's kind of where you get like this issue. And so like one of the things in like ethics and philosophy that a lot of people do live by, and um, I'm not saying it's like the right way to think or anything, but is like what's the greatest good overall? And 
you know, in doing this, like for Ender, there's a lot of awful things that happen to Ender and a lot of things that I'm sure, you know, if you were to look at Ender's life, that would really have this huge impact. I mean, he just murdered an entire race. Like, that's not going to be great. But he saved an entire race at the exact same time. And so, like, you have to kind of weigh, like, the good versus bad there. And so I think that, like, when you think of it overall, if you think about it as like a world standpoint, as a human race standpoint, I could, I could see how you'd make the argument that this is ethical and that, um, you know, it, it is, it's justifiable that that is what the government did, even though it's hard for Ender. But if you consider it from the perspective of Ender and you only consider him, this is just absolutely insane that they did that to him. Yeah. And, like you said, it can definitely be seen from both sides. Um, and both sides are really interesting to look look at because, um, like, what things would be completely different if Ender was told right from the start, this is why we are doing this. And, like, you are actually fighting the buggers right now. It'd be, like... Even even if you told Ender at different points in his story, it would completely change it. So, and it would just be, it it would completely affect the outcome of the end of the book. And I don't I don't think we would get where we. I don't think the human race would survive at the end of the book if he was ever told. So I think like by. By not telling him it's it's ethical, but it's just the it's just the long term effects weren't really thought about when the when when the government was making all these decisions. They were thinking of Ender more as an object rather than a person. Yeah, and I think that like the biggest thing they're trying to save him from the decision of making is they're basically concerned that once he knows that it's other human lives on the line, that he won't start taking it that his goal is to, you know, defeat the buggers, but also keep as many people alive as possible. And he'll put a little bit more weight in keeping others alive. And um, they basically don't want him to do that, which that has its own, like, moral and, like, all its own moral issues alongside it. But when you consider that those people have been, like, on a ship, like, traveling to the Bunger's home planet for a long time, I think that, you know, before they signed up to do that, and hopefully they had the opportunity to either sign up or choose to not go, things like that, then, um, you know, they, they kind of knew that, that that is what they were signing up for. Um, but, you know, that doesn't, like, really change anything that for him... For him to have done all this and basically destroyed a race, um, you know, just like how that's going to weigh on him forever. And we kind of get to see that at the end of the book when he does the speaker for the dead. And you can kind of see that this, this thing really, really weighs on him. And he actually says uh, towards the end of the book that one of the things that he really struggles with is that with any enemy that he has, he always loves them before he kills them. And, um, you know, he spends a good chunk of time trying to understand the buggers. And when he writes the speaker for the dead at the end, you know, he even says, he's like, of anybody in the entire world, um, you know, or the entire universe, I know the buggers the best. And that's why they choose him to go colonize. So, you know, I think that it's, uh, 
it's a very interesting question to be asked. Yeah. So then now we're going to dive into um, Peter and Valentine. So how our next question is, how do Locke and Demosthenes' actions impact Ender's journey and the events of the story? Yeah, and so this is kind of interesting because um, Ender doesn't even know that Locke and Demosthenes really exist. Like, he he doesn't understand. Well, it's not that he doesn't understand. I mean, he just literally is unaware of everything that is going on. And even Valentine and Peter don't understand that what's going on. They're kind of acting independently. But it's really interesting to see that, like, Ender is, like, the top of the military. Like, they're like, he's going to be the one to basically save us all. And here are Peter and Valentine on Earth who the military deemed like, no, we cannot use them for this purpose. And they're over here like making their own path to basically become like the world leaders, you know, at like a super young age, which is just fascinating and has a huge impact on Ender. Yeah, and like how how they... I think that some of the stuff that they do before Ender has that final battle kind of affects how, where Ender goes at the end. Because I feel like they also helped kind of stoke the fire with that, like with that war that's going to happen on Earth. And I feel like they made it a little bit, maybe more than a little bit worse. Um, for that, even though they are trying to shape that future, but like Ender doesn't really, once he leaves earth, he, he never really gets a chance to go back. That's, that's pretty much it. He, he goes back for command school, but that that's it. After that, he gets sent to the buggers home planet because he can't be kept on earth because, um, they, they don't want a separate war over who gets Ender. And right, but that idea to send him away, to basically say that he cannot come back to Earth, is Locke's. Yeah. Like, Peter basically makes a decision that he can't come back. And Peter makes that decision with Valentine. Like, Valentine thinks that that is the way to go. And... I think it makes total sense. I mean, you, if you just think about the world today, if there was somebody that had done something like that, every single military would want them to be in charge. Like, yeah, you can destroy an entire race. Imagine what you could do here, you know? So, um, but I also think, like, the the things that Locke and Demosthenes do bring up, they kind of speed it along and kind of push him into, like, command school a little bit faster than what... Um, I think everybody else was expecting, um, which is interesting because like, um, you know, you don't really feel like he got there too early. You almost feel like he should have had more time. Um, but overall, Locke and Demosthenes just have a, a very large impact on the earth side of things. And even though Ender is nowhere near earth, um, it's interesting how much it impacts him. So one of the things that we wanted to add with the books of the month is, you know, just some recommendations. If this is a book that you found that you really enjoyed and you might want to check out something a little bit similar to that, you know, we're going to try to start providing some recommendations for other books that you can consider checking out. Um, so Ender's Game is a part of a series. When Orson Scott Card originally wrote it, 
Actually, when he first wrote it, it was a short story that basically just talked about the battle room. And then he um, basically worked it up to be a full book. And then after that, he has expanded on the series quite a bit. There was a brief period of time where he was thinking about letting other writers kind of expand the series as well and kind of build out Ender's um, entire universe, like whatever you want to consider that extended universe. And in doing that, he was discussing with an author, uh, Neil Schusterman, and they basically came up with the idea of writing a book that tells the story of another one of the students at the battle school. So the book that comes out of this is Ender's Shadow. It actually starts its own series, which is called the Shadow Series. And um, this whole entire thing focuses on Bean. Bean is like one of the main kids that shows up throughout um, Ender's entire journey. And this book is, like, it's fascinating. I, I finished it shortly after I finished Ender's Game before this, and I might have enjoyed Ender's Shadow more than Ender's Game. It's just very interesting to see it from a different perspective. And um, so th that one is really, really good, and I would recommend, you know, any of the books in the Ender's series, but I really enjoyed Ender's Shadow, so it's definitely worth a read. So another book that you might like if you enjoyed this book is Scythe. Um, this, this book is actually the first book in a trilogy called The Ark of a Scythe, and the world is set um, where everyone is immortal, but there is a need for population control. So there are all of these characters called Scythes, and they have to manage the population. And the way that they do that is by just choosing people to kill. Yeah, definitely very down to the point, but it is the truth. I mean, that is how the book works. So it's it's very much just they choose who they kill. And when they're when they get killed, they are dead forever. Yep. So um so these signs are choosing who they kill, but um there's a lot of ethical implications about this. So some scythes really take a lot of time and thought and actually care about who they are killing and um and like they might either say statistically this might have happened to you so you're dead. <laughs> so you're dead now or you or some might ask like how would you like to to die and then they'll come back later and do that for that person so so those are like kind of on one side whereas others will do um mass gleanings or what they called it's basically the same thing as a mass murder um but yeah just trying to draw some easy parallels <laughs> so mass gleanings <laughs> yeah. are are just where a bunch of people are gleaned and none of them are able to come back. But the entire world for the scythes is starting to crumble because each side where there are these mask leanings who the people who are doing the mask leanings who don't really care about the people that they're killing versus the people who do care is creating a bigger and bigger gap and they want to change the rules where there isn't a limit on how many people you can glean each year. And 
And it causes a lot of trouble in the entire society, even outside the size. And this this book just has a lot of ethical things that you that you really kind of have to think about. And in Ender's Game, you also have a lot of those things to think about too, with how Ender is treated and all of that, and how the whether or not the extermination of the buggers race was really good or bad. Yeah, so Scythe is really, really good, and it's actually written by Neil Shusterman, and Orson Scott Card and Neil Shusterman are good friends, and so this is kind of like, um, it was really interesting when I was reading a little bit more about Ender's Shadow, and then also all of the Ender series and how they came about, especially on the Ender's Game movie, because it has um, been made into a movie, um, a few years ago. Um, and when all of this discussion was ha- happening, Orson Scott Card and Neil Schusterman kind of came up with the idea for Ender Shadow and then also came up with the idea for Scythe. And both of these books were written around the same time period. And Neil Schusterman, you know, did Scythe and um, kind of started his own series there, which is very, very good. And then um, Orson Scott Card continued his Ender's um, universe, which was uh, is very, also very interesting. Um, yeah. So the last book that we have um, as a recommendation that if you liked Ender's Game is Dune. And we're not going to dive a lot into Dune here because it feels like the past couple episodes we have spent a lot of time talking about Dune. Um, but Dune is along a lot of the same lines as Ender's Game and it is uh, a very good book and it is well worth the read. So now that we have finished Ender's Game, we are going to start our book of the month for August. For August, we will be reading See You in the Cosmos. So See You in the Cosmos is a young adult novel by Jack Shing. It follows 11-year-old Alex, who is recording his experiences and dreams of launching his iPod into space to connect with aliens. He befriends many people on his journey while attempting to launch a rocket with this iPod and then uh, searching for his father. Through this journey, Alex learns about friendship, family, and the importance of pursuing his dreams. We will be discussing this book on August 16th. And that brings us to the end of the episode. You can find the Bookworm Collective on Instagram at the underscore Bookworm Collective and on Facebook at the Bookworm Collective. Feel free to message us what you're currently reading or your thoughts on July's book. Thanks for listening.